Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors and Tax Depreciation Super Nerd. We've got a pretty nerdy character coming up next, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying that, but this guy absolutely nerds out on property data, property analytics, and is the foremost expert in property markets in Australia. We're talking about understanding regional property markets. And I've got a gentleman that I call a friend and mentor, Simon Presley. Simon's got some absolute gold to talk to us about the differences between capital city markets and regional markets, if there are any, and how to understand regional markets and do some of that due diligence to understand whether the trajectory for that property market is up or down. He shares some great insights into population growth and its influence on property markets, job creating announcements and infrastructure projects. It's an awesome interview with Simon, who's a regular guest on the show. We appreciate him coming on and I'm sure you will enjoy this one as well. Simon Presley, thanks for joining me back on Geared for Growth. Thank you very much, my friend, for having me back. It's always great to talk property with you. It's uh, it, the pleasure's all mine. Uh, now, for for this particular topic, understanding regional property markets, uh, I think you'd be furious if I got anyone else on the show. I couldn't think of anyone, as it turned out. But when it comes to regional property markets, you've you've really made a name uh, for yourself in this space, and it it actually took a conversation that we had where you sort of said, "I'm not against capital cities. Um, I'm a, I'm I'm pro." the best market to invest. It just so happens that a lot of the time that is the regional markets that are outperforming the cities. How, how would you define a regional property market, i.e. Are there, are there towns that are just too small for you to even consider putting your clients into? Before I answer that, I, the big smirk on my face is because I just find the topic fascinating, understanding regional property markets. You know what? It's understanding property markets. Mm. I, I would argue, and I don't want to offend anybody in saying this, but I probably will, <laughs> there are no more than five people in this entire country that as a professional property market analyst, that I would say those people truly understand property markets. Five right. people. No, that's not saying that... Everyone else knows nothing. I'm not saying that at all. Um, but yeah, I just, I've always found it fascinating. Pe- people don't understand capital cities any more than they understand regional. They're just, to me, they're just names, Mike. They always have been just names. Yep. Um, it's, uh, it's understanding what influences markets, and that's got nothing to do whether it's a capital city or a region. Um, you quit, you, I address from your, from your question about um, size, but I just wanted to make that general comment about, about regions. Um, yeah, there are. Um, so we, don't put, we don't define it by a population size, though. Like, I personally own properties in locations that have a population of 15,000, 25,000, 40,000, right? Um, the non-negotiable for us when we will not invest in a location has nothing to do with population size. It's to do with economic diversity. Um, so, for example, we won't invest in Perth, period. Yep. But, but Perth is Australia's fourth biggest city in a country that's got 400 individual townships, and we won't invest there. They're fourth biggest. Um, why we won't invest there is because it, it has an unhealthy reliance on one industry sector. In Perth's case, that one industry is mining, um, and that's why for you know much of the last decade, uh, look, if you or I bought a property in Perth in the year 2010, you add 10 years to that, and both our properties are worth less than what we paid for it. Mm. So it's got nothing to do with it being a capital city that doesn't make it safe. 
it's got nothing to do with the fact it's got two million people live that live there. You know, population size doesn't doesn't make it better or, or safer. Um, it's understanding what influences property markets and what is risk because there is risk in investing. Yes, it property and everything. So what is risk? What actually causes um, an asset to lose value? And that's not population mass; it's economic diversity. Mm. Now, so sorry, I'll let you finish, mate. Yeah, yeah. So a location that might have twenty thousand people, um, it can be high risk, but it can also be actually more resilient than many capital cities. It's not the number of people that live here that determine that. It's the local economic conditions that determine that. Picture, if you can, a one industry mining town. Yep. You know, a Mount Isa or a, or an, or a, um, an Emerald or something like that. Um, Kalgoorlie, right? Uh, it will have booms. It will have downturns. But it has a boom when the mining sector is strong. Mining doesn't cause the boom. Job creation causes the boom. Mm. When it has its downturn, it's not caused by mining. It's caused by job loss. Yep. So if we extrapolate that out, there's so much that it, those who have an interest in investing in property understand that stereotypical mining town. It's not about mining. It's about job creation. Yep. So now let's extrapolate that out to a different location. doesn't matter how many people that live there. If it's got economic diversity... When one industry sector, whether it's mining or anything else, when one industry sector has a downturn, you've still got jobs, you know, created in other industry sectors. And some of those industries might be booming while one's suffering. Yep. But overall, it could still have a, a good performance. So it's all about economic diversity to us. And if we're sticking with that Perth case study, it's going to have economic diversity, right? Because it's got a financial sector and it's got a tourism sector. But your argument is that the mining is, 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 has a disproportionate share, right? Yep, yep. So I'm not saying it doesn't have any, any economic diversity. Clearly it does. It just doesn't have enough for us. Yep. Um, and, and, and mining is an incredibly important industry for this country. Um, and it's critically important to the whole state of Western Australia, um, yeah, especially iron ore. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a key ingredient for steel. The world always needs steel. Um, but the, the province in the far northwest of the state that we know as the Pilbara is the single biggest reserve in the world for iron ore. So, but why it's so unhealthy for the Western Australian economy, um, it depends on that one industry a lot and it depends on one customer. In that case, it's China. Mm. China buys 60% of Western Australia's iron ore each year. So think of a business that's got 60% of its annual revenue coming from one customer. It's a shit business no matter how much profit it makes. If it loses that customer, it's going to be in trouble. So when China says, hey, Western Australia, we no longer want as anywhere near as much iron ore as what we've bought in the last decade, um, the state's ability to fund their public service workforce, which is 10% of the, of the state's workforce, mm. is under pressure. This um, Perth's ability to build train stations and hospitals and, and schools and all that essential infrastructure, it won't happen because the revenue comes from, from the mining sector. Um, and there's more jobs in the mining industry that uh, in Perth, in a high-rise office, um, than there are actually in Kalgoorlie or Port Hedland or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting with the way that the world is at the moment as well. Uh, just being in the Barossa 
Valley a couple of weeks ago, there was a lot of uh, vineyards that had an exposure to the Chinese market that are now sitting on stock, and the ones that are doing well had no real connection. So you know the the world is good is example. A, it's a it's a much more complicated place. So getting back to your original point, where you know the topic of this is understanding regional property markets, you're kind of saying, well, it's just property markets, right? But I'm going to try and argue with you, which is a dangerous, <laughs> dangerous position to be in. <laughs> I'm going to have a red-hot go. There, there's got to be some sort of difference between a capital city and a regional market, and maybe that's just what we talked about, is that region, regional markets have much more of an inherent risk to an overexposure to a certain industry. Now, maybe Perth is a little bit of an outlier because it is a resource state, but if you compare, say, Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne, they're going to have more diversity of employment than, say, a town like Albury or Griffith or Townsville, for example? Um, well, there, there are eight capital cities and there only will ever be eight capital cities unless at some stage down the track we have more than eight states and territories. But a capital city, it's just a term and that term has got nothing to do with a property market um, the term is designed to say, well, this is going to be the head office for our state. Yep. Well, that's, that's, that's done for making business decisions and where, and where governments have, you know, sit around their boardroom table making largely dickhead decisions. <laughs> um, it's got nothing to do with property market performance at all. But then if we think about our regions, we've got 400 of them, Mike. Mm. And they're all completely different. So, um, you know, for our listeners, um, we can't compare Port Hedland to Port Macquarie. Yep. They're both regions. Their name both starts with port. Obviously, yeah. they're both on the water. Um, but one of them has 20,000 people that, you know, 80% of those 20,000 people rely directly on um, the sale of iron ore. And the other other location, Port Macquarie, top of my head, I don't know, might be 70,000 people or something like that. Um, its economic profile depends more on tourism. Yep. Uh, it's it's a, um, a popular lifestyle destination, uh, particularly for retirees. Um, it's got, um, you know, good infrastructure. It doesn't have as much economic diversity as what we'd like to see, mm. but it's not a one-industry town. And Port Macquarie is probably just as diverse as Brisbane, Adelaide, Canberra. It's more diverse than Darwin. It's more diverse than Perth. So um, within our regions, we've got... Um, what I affectionately describe as mini capital cities. Yep. So again, we can only have one capital city per state, but if we sort of think, well, what are the characteristics of a capital city? Um, essential infrastructure, you know, quality healthcare, tertiary education options for, for the youth when they finish high school and want to choose a variety of career paths. You know, it hasn't got that. Does it have good quality retail facilities? Um, a big city like Sydney might have 20 Westfield shopping centres, but that's just because it's got more people. It needs to have that many. But yeah. the key thing is, is, no matter how big or small the regional location is, does it have you know adequate retail facilities, yeah. um, and does it have a diverse economy? So, so that to me is a when I say um, mini capital city, it's a location that we can tick those boxes. Now let's let's use some good examples. Um, New South Wales, in no particular order, it's places like Wagga, um, it's places like Coffs Harbour. Um, it's places like, uh, you mentioned Albury-Wodonga before. Albury-Wodonga's got more economic diversity than, um, than a few of our capital cities. I would argue that Albury's economic diversity is greater than Adelaide and Brisbane. Yep. But, but there's nowhere near as many people that live there. Yeah. Um, and years gone by, we've invested in locations like Orange. Um, you know, Orange median house price doubled in five years. Doubled in, in five years. And the five years just gone. And in December 2021, um, Orange was one of six 
regional locations where their median house price doubled in five years. No capital city did that. Mm. The best performed capital city in that same five-year period of time was Hobart. That was my next question. It had 90% growth. Yeah. Um, in that same five years, Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, our three biggest cities, had about 40 to 45% growth. So those six regional locations more than doubled it in five years. Yeah. Um, yes, Orange was one of those. Launceston was another one of those in Tasmania. Again, a, a mini capital city. It's places like Geelong, Bendigo and Ballarat um, in, in Victoria. Um, New South Wales, but lots of them. I mentioned a few already. Queensland, the mini capital cities. It's your Suncon, Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast. Um, Townsville has incredibly um, a diverse economy up there. In fact, it's the, the biggest city uh, in, in the whole north of Australia. If we drew an imaginary, imaginary horizontal line through the middle of Australia, yep. on the east coast you'd cut through Brisbane, on the west coast you'd cut through Geraldton. Yep. Everything north of that horizontal line, Townsville is the biggest city in all of Australia. Population go. of roughly 200,000 people. Um, incredibly diverse economy up there. But it's also places, uh, yeah, there's enough economic diversity in places like Harvey Bay and Bendigo, uh, I mentioned Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast, Toowoomba um, inland. So we've got lots of them um, and probably investors a sport for choice. Yep. All right. So I'm trying to, you know, so we don't have to change the uh, title of this podcast because I hate editing. We are talking about understanding regional pro- property markets. Now, you've made a great case to say the regional doesn't make a difference. It's the property market itself. But let, let's zero on in on those those market drivers and perhaps you can stick with residential examples such as you've been. We talked about uh, job creation being a, a big driver of a property market. We talk about diversity uh, being an important thing for a stability of the property market. What are some of the other things that you can point to that people can sort of quite easily identify through ABS data or something like that to say th- th- there's, there's something in this market that's, that's got potential to grow? The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. I wish um, I could agree with you with easily identify. Um, <laughs> mate, I'm a, I'm a workaholic, seven days a week, long days. Um, I'm not saying that begrudgingly. I love what I do. It's not easy. Um, I'm saying that as someone who's made a life out of doing it, it's not easy. So for the DIY property investor who wants to find a shortcut, there is, there is no shortcut. But the things to focus on, on the demand side, it's not about population growth. I don't, I'll have this argument for anyone who wants to, wants to have it. There's no evidence at all. Um, and it's got nothing to do with capital city or region. Housing demand um, is a byproduct of economic growth. Yep. So if you want to make a really good decision as a property investor, you need to totally ignore, totally ignore population growth. It's a rear vision mirror statistic. tells you nothing about the future um, of market conditions. And you need to focus on things associated with economic growth. So as much as I love data, and you and I have a lot of discussions about data, the best, the most valuable information for me is not in numbers, it's in written text. Mm -hmm. A big chunk of my day every day is consuming copious amounts of reports from all different sources. 
um, that one way or another, I'm looking for announcements that are going to create jobs. Yep. So it could be federal government, state government, local government. So they're sort of macro stuff. Um, it could be an existing business that's, you know, that's already in, in whichever township that's announced it's expanding its workforce. Um, it could be the other way. It could be a business that's struggling. Um, it could be uh, a new business that's about to open up there. Um, it, it might be a business that has a presence in other parts of Australia that's made an announcement that um, it's expanding its, uh, its footprint into, into a different, different city. Um, it can be a large variety of infrastructure projects. Um, it can be a general um, outlook for a key industry sector. Pick any one, manufacturing, agriculture, tourism. If we go, tourism's a good one. Um, if we go back to 2014, we were hearing a lot back then of the term, the Asian century. Mm. You know, they were far, fast becoming urbanised like what you and I have only ever known living in this country. And then, under, so we, we were engrossing ourselves so and saying, what does that mean? What these countries that have got billions of people, what does that mean when they're fast becoming urbanised? And one of that was um, they've got the money and the desire to see the world, to travel. It's like, well, Australia has always been a popular destination for international tourists. So, yeah, that, that heavily influenced um, some of the locations we invested in. We're never going to invest in the one industry tourism in town because that's just as bad as investing in the one industry um, mining town. Yeah. But locations that had um, economic diversity and a broad, healthy outlook for their economy and a tourism element to it. Tassie's a great example. Um, they started, to, you know, we started to look closer into them. So they're the things we're focusing on the demand side. The supply side of things, um, we broke up into three components. And again, doesn't matter capital city or region. This is the process. Um, number of dwellings for sale in a market today. Is that a lot higher than normal? Is it a lot less than normal? And which direction is it trending? Is it um, rapidly increasing or is it holding firm? So that's what we call resale supply. Yep. Um, re rental supply. So that's really determined by how many people who purchase property in a location as an investor and added that property to the rental pool. Yep. Um, is that too much? Is that not enough? Is that, and again, what's the trend? Is that, is that trend increasing or is it retracting? And then new construction supply. So that's looking at the total volume of properties in a location today and digging behind the scenes and seeing, well, what are the actual actions of the construction sector? Mm. Because they are the ones who actually control how many dwellings will be there in years to come. Yeah. Um, the, the best example I can use there is the, the Sydney and Melbourne downturn from 2017 to 2019. Um, Sydney's median house price declined by 190 grand and Melbourne's by 134 grand in that two years. The rest of Australia didn't decline though. Mm. Those two cities declined because of an oversupply that was created by an overzealous construction sector. So we, we had the foresight to anticipate that by following the movements of the construction sector. So that's a lot for someone to take here, but hopefully it, it sort of explains why I said earlier, there's no easy way. <laughs> Normally what happens is that I ask for a simple explanation and then someone like a buyer's agent or an accountant or a broker explains why you probably shouldn't do it yourself. So I, I think you've done a good job at that. What about... Um, the job creation announcements, uh, yep. infrastructure projects are an interesting one for me because certain infrastructure expenditure from, say, state or local governments is going to generate more jobs than others. So a hospital versus a road. What are some Correct. of the key ones that you kind of see, okay, well, that that's going to be a huge employer? 
Yeah, so infrastructure projects will always be of keen interest to us, but yeah, a, a lot of less experienced investors can get easily get caught out by infrastructure projects. Um, you should never invest in any location based on the announcement of an infrastructure project. It, you've got to look at the sum of all those things we were talking about earlier. The relevance of infrastructure projects um, on a property market is the jobs that it creates. Mm. Um, and infrastructure projects in some regions will have a much bigger impact on property markets than those same projects in a capital city. Um, you know, building, you used the example of a hospital. Um, well, building a hospital in Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, Adelaide, or Pudicity will have no impact mm. on their property market. No impact. Now, that doesn't mean it's not a good project. It's good for the community yes. because we need healthcare, but it's going to do nothing at all to the property market. But if you're living in a, um, you know, if, there, if there's a, a city out there somewhere with 50,000, 60,000 people, uh, I'll give you an example. Bendigo is a location that Propertyology has invested in in the past. I think it was about 2015, the Victorian government spent $600 million building a hospital that's just as good as anything you'll see in any capital city. Amazing. And adjacent to this brand new hospital was a big medical precinct, the specialist services, right? Yep. Um, to service not just the Bendigo population of 110,000 people, but all of central Victoria. Think of all those smaller regional communities. That, yeah. To them, Bendigo was their capital city, right? Um, so spending $600 million on one infrastructure project does a lot more to the economy, in this case of Bendigo, than spending $1 billion in Brisbane or Adelaide. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the percentage of, of people employed in that development over the total population, it's, it's much more of a, a driver in those small locations than if there's a city of 2 million people. Yeah, yeah. Now, you, um, you use some other good examples, highways, for example. Well, yes, they all create jobs. So, um, But again, we're not going to invest in a location because no matter how big the highway is, no matter how much money is thrown on it, it's just one piece of information. So we need to have a big collection of announcements like that. But collectively, we sort of go, well, that's lots of jobs. Um, but once the highway is built, well, okay, there's less traffic, but there's no jobs yeah. now once the highway is built. Um, airports is a good example. So... Um, there's at different times in Australian history, especially regional communities where there's been a new airport built or a major expansion of an existing airport, they can have a significant impact um, on a property market because people don't travel for practice. They travel for a purpose. Someone's going to jump on a plane either for a business trip or for a holiday. Either way, when they jump off the plane, they are spending their money in that community. Yes. So Byron, Byron Bay, officially the best, bar none, the, the most expensive real estate in all of Australia, more expensive than in eight capital cities, and officially the highest average annual capital growth rate of those 400 locations over the last 20 years. Yeah, wow. Byron Bay's got a population of only 37,000 people, but it blows every other market out of the water, and it's not because of the water or the beach and how pretty it is. It's because of its economy. Um, go I was back to two thousand and it's because of Chris Hemsworth. Two thousand and four, five. They did a major expansion. It's officially called the the, the Byron um, Airport, um, but it's more Ballina, all right. Um, but if you go and if you're flying to Byron Bay, you fly to the Ballina Airport. So they significantly expanded the airport um, in those years, and they threw, the local government, to their credit, threw a lot of money at marketing the attractions of Byron Bay. Yep. Fast forward now, 
and look what Byron Bay's property market's done yeah. on the back of that one key infrastructure project. Now, just to, to follow that through, um, is you did say before, never invest just based on one key uh, infrastructure project. Uh, yeah. But you've got a really big one in your backyard that I think is attracting a lot of people, and that is the the Olympic Games. Is it the Com Games or the Olympic Games? Olympic, Olympic Games, Games, 2032. 2032. That has got a lot of press and a lot of interest in people investing because what it, of what is essentially one infrastructure project. But perhaps it's not. Perhaps it's a stadium, it's an equestrian centre, it's a rowing thing, it's a bloody kayak rapid or whatever other stuff they've got to build. It's a lot of stuff, right? So is there ever a time where something like that is so big that it, that you know you're breaking your own rules, as it were? No, it's just one extra piece of information. Um, we, we wrote a fairly comprehensive blog. Um, would have been this time last year when it was when it was a formally announced Brisbane was a, was awarded the Olympic Games, um, and we, we we wrote a detailed blog because the commentary was exactly what you said. Yeah. A, anybody who wants to consider themselves an expert immediately said because of one announcement that uh, Brisbane's the place it's gonna it's gonna boom. There is no precedent. Let me tell people. Olympic Games have been held for hundreds of years. Yep. Sydney had one in the year 2000. And I think this is where the perception comes from because um, directly after the Sydney Olympic Games, Sydney had a property boom. So people mm. go, on, well, that was because of the Olympic Games. Let me tell you that that five-year period directly after the Olympics was Australia's single biggest property boom in their 230 year history. Not Sydney, mm. Australia. Yeah, there you go. We just it wasn't, caused, wasn't caused by the Olympic Games. It was caused by the most prosperous period economically in our history. Brisbane boomed, Cairns boomed, Toowoomba boomed, Adelaide boomed. They didn't have an Olympic Games. Mm. So the boom wasn't caused by the infrastructure projects built in Sydney. I'm not saying that those infrastructure projects didn't help Sydney's economy. Of course it did. Um, in this case, Brisbane's 2032 Olympic Games, so it's been announced... Um, that venue's been announced four years earlier than what it would normally be announced because of COVID. They needed to give the city you know, and the world at, at large more certainty you know, in the middle of a health pandemic when they announced the, the Olympic Games. So yeah. all the infrastructure investment, of which there's a lot less infrastructure investment um, for the Brisbane Games than, the, than any other city, Brisbane won its pitch for the Olympic Games largely because it's actually for the first Olympic Games ever, Mike, it won't be in one city. It's in a region. It's in southeast Queensland. Right. So the events will be spread across Toowoomba, Brisbane, uh, Sunshine Coast and Gold Coast. Um, and the infrastructure is largely there. So there are some infrastructure projects to host the Games, yes, but most of what's needed is already there. And that was that was that was critical to the, them being um, the successful winner yeah. um, of the games. Um, this, the Queensland State Government have got no money, Mike. They are broke. They won't admit it, but they are broke, um, which is the reason why they introduced their infamous <laughs> Queensland land tax on property investors. They are fucking broke. Sorry, but they are fucking broke. I think I've got um, a button for that. There we go. <laughs> yes, uh, um, that is a whole nother episode, but obviously that's there's just some, some huge desperation to a policy like that that's likely just going to end in uh, the the tightest vacancy rates we've ever seen in in the history of Brisbane. Yeah, but I digress. Sorry, um, 
The Olympic Games is a sporting event. We need to keep things in perspective as investors and not allow emotion to rule these really important decisions. It's a sporting event. Mm. It's a one-off. It's a two-week event. It will create a lot of energy, but it's a sugar fix. Yeah. In the months leading up and for a couple of weeks um, leading out from that, uh, after that, um, it's a sugar fix. There will be some extra jobs created because of the infrastructure investment, but it's nowhere near as big a scale stuff. And most importantly... The event is held 11 years away. Yeah, yeah. So anyone who's got an amount of money now who wants to roll the dice and pay 800 to a million bucks on an asset and say, I'm going to pick Brisbane because it's hosting a sporting event in, well, now 10 years' time. It was 11 years' time when they announced it. Um, like, you're crazy. You've got 400 locations to pick from, people. Yeah. Yeah, I want to yourself to make a really, really good decision, and it's not a good decision just to say, oh, they're hosting Olympic Games. Yeah, you can do a lot in 10 years. So It's interesting. It's interesting. I just want to finish on that. So yeah. this time 12 months ago, when it was announced Brisbane's hosting the Games, everyone's going, Brisbane's going to boom, right? Fast forward today, just 12 months later. Yeah. I just mentioned it then. Queensland, so, we're, so everyone was saying 12 months ago, you must all invest in Brisbane because of one event. And now we're saying of all the locations in Australia, investors should completely avoid Queensland because of land tax. Mm. See how impulsive investors are? Yeah, exactly. They, they are so easily influenced by one thing. Mm. And then they all follow like sheep. That's a very, very good point. So, Simon, uh, we're about to time out in three minutes on this chat, but don't invest in a, a location because of population growth alone. Don't invest in a location because of a big, shiny infrastructure project. Is there one one last piece of advice that you could give that you wish everybody would understand? Yes. Uh, it's what I call uh, my own golden rule of all financial decisions, which of course includes investing in real estate. Everyone's heard of it, but property investors for whatever reason refuse to respect it. Do not place all your eggs in one basket. Mm. It's common sense, right? Yep. But unfortunately common sense is not very common. So how we put that into practice as property investors is it doesn't matter what, how much money our individual clients got in terms of an investment budget. If they are to engage our services, we, we will refuse to accept their money if they are insistent on putting so much capital into any one asset. Mm. So we're never going to invest in Australia's real expensive locations, capital city or region. We won't invest in Byron Bay, which is a region. Because a standard house in Byron Bay, you won't get much change out of $2 million. We won't invest in Newcastle. We won't invest in Wollongong. We won't invest in Geelong. They're regions. We won't invest there. Nothing to do with the outlook. We won't invest there because our evidence-based study says always avoid apartments. You'll never get anywhere near as much growth from an apartment as you will a conventional house. And if the cost of a conventional house is north of a million bucks, you've abused the golden rule of placing all your eggs in the one basket. Because mm, chances are that might be the only one that you can get or the only one you can get for a long time. I think that's great advice. Before we finish up, um, Simon, in the beginning you said there's probably five people that understand property markets in Australia. I just want to ask how many of them are economists working for the big four banks? You can answer that, can you? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, if I come up with it, if I was um, being generous and said there's a hundred people in Australia, yeah. their name wouldn't become wouldn't wouldn't uh, cross cross my mind. If I said there are ten thousand people in Australia, 
that have a good understanding of property markets, those those people still wouldn't be um, part of the discussion. If we're in a court, there would be an objection leading the witness, I think, on that one. Simon, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for, for sharing your wisdom again today. My pleasure. Cheers.